Okay, back again with Gerard Longo. Gerard, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me again. Of course. It's been, what, probably about a year since we did the last one? About a year, yeah. The one-year anniversary of our previous episode came up in my Facebook memories. And then I was like, I tagged you on Instagram. I'm like, hey, can you believe it's been a year? And then immediately Mm -hmm. we're like, well, let's do it again. Let's do another one. Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened. (laughs) We've seen each other a few times since then. Um, but we were just kind of talking before we got started today and you were saying that you feel like it's time for some necessary changes to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly been the theme of my life for the past year. Um, so since the last time we did this, I I drove to the desert, I went on a road trip and that kind of set off a whole bunch of, I guess, realizations in my life that, you know, just constant, a constant necessity to level up I would say is the overall overarching theme and realizing like the chasm between where I am where my platforms are versus where I want them to be right and there's definitely been you know there's there's been some a lot of changes a lot of lifestyle changes you know um definitely some relational changes there definitely there are definitely people that you know, were in my life a year ago that aren't now, you know, some I wanted to come off, some I cut off and some I didn't. And if you're listening, you can figure out which one you are, uh, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it's, I've, I'm at this point, you know, where I'm 35 now. Um, and I'm realizing like, overall, I want what I do to fit into my life. And I don't want to have to fit my life around what I do, if that makes sense. Whereas I think a year ago, I was still denying that lying to myself about that what do you mean exactly well you know i mean so i'm running underground music collective you know and i host the quinspin and i'm running nash live and i think for the longest time i've just been you know i started the podcast the quinspin in 2013 so it's going on nine years in august and i think in that time i would always just work 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 you know go 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 like this is my focus this is 100 percent of what i do all day, every day, especially, I would say from 2017 on, because that was the year I went through a really rough breakup and just decided to go all in. And I'm realizing, you know, I love what I do, but there's more to life than what I do. You know, I'm not to be defined by what I do. And I feel like, you know, in that constant go mode, there's a lot of life I've missed there's a lot of work that I'm now over the past year on myself catching up on and trying to bring back in balance after really pushing it away for years, just stuffing it down. Like I don't need to work on that or I don't need to work on that right now. You know, inner work, you know, healing, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I've noticed the ways that since the last time we sat here in these same spots, that that's shown up in my life and shown up in my relationships and shown up in my level of patience or lack thereof with myself, with other people, with situations. And you just get to a point where it's like, there's gotta be a different way of doing all of this, you know? So that's where I am right now. I mean, I, I texted you before we started recording. This is kind of a, we're coming in hot here on this episode, Yeah, (laughs) you know? With Underground Music Collective in particular, I sense a major pivot coming, you know? And I don't know what that is yet, because this is just kind of something over the past couple weeks that I'm coming to, like, 
is the way that we're doing things at UMC and is the is what got us here going to be what takes us there? You know, I've been pretty open recently on social media in particular. I want us to have a physical headquarters in 2028. I want to dedicate mom's basement studios to my mom on the 15 year anniversary of the show uh, of its conception for the Quinn spin. And I just noticed myself. I noticed the fires that I put out and have been putting out for a long time. And I'm like, there's gotta be a different way forward, you know? So you're catching me at a very interesting time here because that not only applies to the work stuff, it applies to every area of my life. How can I be better? How can I show up better? How can I work on what I need to work on so I can be more present and more complete and not as reactive? You know, I've also in that time had a couple of almost relationships not work out. Situationships. Situationships, yes. I've been using that word a lot over the past year. And... You know, I I don't fault the other people involved in those situationships entirely, you know, because there's definitely my part to own. And it's a big reason why I'm going to be starting therapy in a few weeks, finally. You know, I've been kicking that around for a couple of years. That's a, that's a, a great thing. I yeah. think it's a very positive thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually excited for it. I really am. Yeah, well, it's, it's nice to have uh, someone who is in outside – perspective that can can listen you know I, I feel like it's always good for me I haven't done therapy in a minute myself I would love to um but uh I think it's good just to have someone who can objectively look at your life or situations in your life relationships family situations and give you third-party feedback yes with what they might be thinking because and maybe this is a human thing but I feel like I have the tendency to uh, like make something up in my mind already about what I already think uh-huh. the other person mm-hmm. feels like. Like yeah. when I'm at my most base level, I'm better about it now. I, I'm, I don't necessarily do that now. Um, and if it's someone that I don't really want to fuck with, then that's your answer. Then just like get away from it. Doesn't matter the yeah. reason why. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's definitely I think a, a really healthy and positive thing to uh, to be able to go to therapy and talk to someone yeah. just so you can have that outside perspective because I can sit around and just think all day long mm-hmm. about whatever's going on in my life, right. whatever career things, and I feel recently like I've chilled out a little bit because mm-hmm. you know I mean we we had uh, breakfast together a couple weeks ago. And I kind of told you some of the things that were going on with me, the yeah. fact that I was like leaving a lot of the bands I was in, mm-hmm. all on good terms, all positive stuff. But I just know long term, like those bands, their goal is to, like in a dream world, like get on a uh, an opening act for someone like Jack White or mm-hmm. someone like that. And go on tour, yeah. And go on tour. And I don't want to go on tour ever. Right. I have zero interest in that. I mean, I like playing live. To a certain degree, but even then, like, I don't really give a fuck about playing live. Like, even now, I would never want to stop playing live completely. But if it was only a couple of times a year, I wouldn't be upset. If I played live, like, three or four times a year, that would honestly be enough for me. And it would feel novel to you at that point. Yes. Yeah. To where I could enjoy it. But what I really like doing is doing the podcast and recording music. Yeah. And being a producer and then writing and playing my own music. Yeah. 
and I get way more of a thrill out of that. I feel like, if anything, the live music is just a consequence of liking that stuff. Yeah. And that's that's much rather what I'd have it be. And that's the thing is, like, what makes you happy in life? What's going to make you feel balanced? And what's going to, therefore, make you your best self and able to show up better? You know? And that's been something that, for me, over the past year, you know, I've had to really try to narrow down. And I'm still trying to narrow that down, you know? I did like your point, by the way, about objectivity from a third party. Because here's the thing. When you you can, you can to your point, like spin inside of your head all day, you know? And if you have a support system, like I happen to have a really good support system, but they're all going to side with you too. Yeah. And so like, if you're feeling a certain emotion, you're like, you know, let's take one of these situationships, for example, this person sucks. They're going to be like, yeah, she sucks. You know, like they're going to jump on your bandwagon. Yeah. But what that doesn't do is it doesn't hold you accountable for your part. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm good in the way at being like, if I'm wrong and I, even if I'm arguing, like, in a relationship in the moment, mm-hmm. if I have 24 hours, or sometimes I'll even instantly realize where I can take a step back, and I'm like, you know what? Actually, you're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm fighting You'll say that you. thing, you'll send that text, be like, oh, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also yeah. the other side of that to where it's like, I know... I know when I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Sometimes right. I just have to process the emotion yeah. first to be able to logically think about it. Right, right. Because for me, I've, I've avoided feeling a lot like as a way of numbing myself with my own thoughts yes. to protect myself. Yeah. Um, and I can still get into those modes. I can still go into that now. Mm-hmm. But I'm a lot better about it than I used to be. It, yeah. took, it took a long time to, to change. But I also think it's just a natural progression. If you're miserable in life and you're not feeling good about something, I've, I'm not a person who typically stays with whatever's not making me feel good. Right. I, feel, I feel like I'm good at being like, I'm miserable. It takes me a minute to recognize I'm miserable. Mm-hmm. But if I come around to it, then I'm like, okay, time to make a change. Yeah. Yeah, that feedback is huge. And I think as you go and you're in more situations that don't align with you, whatever they are, personal, professional, you're able to recognize them more quickly. Yeah. And you're able to say, okay, this needs to pivot, change, or go away, right? Because you're able to draw from experience. Yeah, and you're able to even tie that to previous times you felt that way. And, like, for me, like – you know, I think in my 20s especially, I stuck a lot of things out, you know, well past their expiration dates. Jobs, relationships, and that only builds resentment, that only builds anxiety, anger, like all these negative feelings. And the longer you let those feelings build without trying to make some change, trying to at least communicate, the more likely they are to come out in uglier ways, you know? And I think you know, we're both in our thirties now. We've had enough of that life experience to be like, when something's not working, let's take a real look at why it's not working. Yeah. And what about it isn't working? And even if that means we have to leave a situation, walk away from a situation, or change something about it, change the dynamic, you know, even if that's a temporary change, and that's what we need to do, you know, to prote- protect our peace and get back to center and be able to show up more authentically more true to who we are and true to what we want. So we're therefore better for the people around us, for the world around us. It's interesting to hear you say all that because I really had the opposite of experiences in my twenties 
like you, you were saying you stuck things out for too long for me I would instantly take a hammer to something and just walk away and, yeah and not <laughs> and not feel bad yeah. about it. and I mean I don't regret any, like anything mm-hmm. like you can do coulda shoulda woulda's all day but honestly I I can say in my life I don't really have any regrets like I don't have any regrets because it all gets me to the next step and it's like I've probably in my 20s I no joke I maybe had 25 or 30 different jobs really yeah and I never felt bad about quitting there's a couple companies I will say I have a hierarchy of judgment though Mm -hmm. that I've been able to use as to whether or not I walk out mid-shift out of a place Mm -hmm. right I don't do that everywhere right but if a place is fucking with me and it's just some shit Side job, yeah. I don't give a fuck. Right. right. If if uh, it's a shithead manager or something like that, like I, I worked at Spencer's Gifts for like mm-hmm. four hours. <laughs> I walked out before the end of my first shift. I had been working at Spirit Halloween um, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. seasonal job. It was the first job that I had in a while. Yeah. Um, and it was just like a little part time thing, mm-hmm. uh, just to like get used to having to go somewhere and have someone else like tell me to do something right because i hadn't been used to that in a minute so i had Uh to like get back into that and it it was a fun job too like -hmm. a real easy job at the end of the season they're like uh spencer's is hiring do you want to work there so Mm -hmm. i said yes i show up for my first shift um the interview went good all of that i told them yo i'm not gonna work on Black Friday, I'm not working on Thanksgiving. I'm not working on Christmas Eve. I told them all that in advance. Mm-hmm. I go there. First day, they're like, "What? which holiday would you rather work? And I was like, none of them. Mm-hmm. I said I wasn't going to work any of them. Yeah. And then, in addition to that, the manager, she was freaking out and crying because her boyfriend got arrested. So she was trying to figure out how to bail him out. And also... Earlier that day, an assistant manager got sent home because her and the manager, the one that was crying, was mm-hmm. uh, they got into some altercation, I guess, that almost turned physical. It was broken up. Oh, wow. So as soon as she left and I was just there, I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to work here. They can yeah. suck my dick. Yeah. And yeah. then later, I... Uh, I it, it's funny because it was snowing that night in mm-hmm. Nashville and it ne- like never fucking snows here right. rarely. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling my friend um, Josh Norfleet, and he was working uh, over at Cumulus Media. And I talked to him, and he's like, "Yo, we, we desperately need someone to work here. Are you mm-hmm. interested?" Yeah. And it it ends up working out, but mm-hmm. like that was a place that I made sure I left on good terms because they were good to me and yeah. they taught me life skills that I needed, like all the stuff I'm doing now. Right, right. Directly relatable. Yeah. Um, and I had a good relationship with all of them. Yeah. But there, there, there have been so many times, so many jobs where I haven't given two weeks. They said one thing I didn't like and I was just like, suck my dick. I'm leaving right now. Yeah. If I even tell them I'm leaving. Yeah. And they'll call me and shit and I might pick up and I might tell them what my beefs were. Mm-hmm. But I just know a job is never going to fucking... If they don't show you that respect early on, they're never going to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really great job in my early 20s working at this place, BEK, and I, I've talked about it a million times on the podcast, mm-hmm. so I won't go deep into it. But they trained me 
as a salesman. Mm-hmm. And they, they really, like, my flaws came out front and center as a, as a young human being. Right. Um, and they helped me work on those. And they weren't critical, and they gave me the space I needed to to make mistakes and to grow. Mm-hmm. So I gave them, like, a month's notice. Yeah. I had a great relationship with them. Mm-hmm. But most jobs, it's rare that you're going to have, like, that human-to-human being respect. Right. You are just a fucking number to mm-hmm. most companies because everybody's got somebody on their ass and everybody's trying to protect their own yeah you know it's just the nature of corporate america it's the nature of just the way things are structured you know in the employment world here in this country everybody's trying to save themselves in a lot of those types of environments you know i've worked in corporate america i've worked in nonprofits. you know and in every one of those stops along the way no matter how positive my experience may or may not have been there are always those people that are like, I need to look good. I need to look good. I need to protect myself, even if it's stepping on somebody else. And that's the thing. Like the humanity gets lost in that a lot of the time. Oh yeah. Whether you're working a part-time job at Spencer's or whether you're working for a corporation in an office nine to five, there's a lot of that. I think scarcity mindset that bleeds through Mm -hmm. and just like any other projection it's it says more about the person doing the projecting than it does about you but it's hard in that type of an env- environment in a culture where it's like everyone's out for themselves to not take it personally and then to not start getting defensive yourself yeah you know? no for sure i think for me it was as soon as i noticed that i wasn't treated as a human being and someone was just trying to cover their own ass i would uh I would just be like, okay, well, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I feel like you don't respect me, and you don't respect my time. That was what it was because I exchange – for a job, you exchange time for money. Mm-hmm. And if my time is not respected and you're doing a bunch of bullshit, I don't want to have to figure out how to work within your dumb fucking game. Yeah, I'm just done with it at that point, and uh-huh. I'll figure it out. Yeah, Especially having a mindset – that you, there there are a million ways to make money out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, this was like pre-COVID that I had this mindset. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like a lot, a lot of the general workforce has come around to this now. Yeah. Which I think is a great thing. Yeah. I think we should all like, you it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating sometimes when you go to a place and it's like short staff, whatever. I, but you know what? At the end of the day, I get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mad about it. Yeah. I picked up something part-time here in town over the fall because, you know, even though I'm an entrepreneur, you still need to find different ways to make money, you know, when you ride those ups and downs. And I drive DoorDash, and I was sick of DoorDash, so I went and found a security job at a place in town that I may or may not end up naming here on this episode. And it was, I've worked security. I've worked security at the Grand Ole Opry. I worked for an organization called ArtsQuest in Pennsylvania, who I love. I'm going back to work Music Fest in August, uh, which is their big festival. This wasn't security. This was standing around checking IDs and occasionally going around and picking up glasses and whatever. And I was bored out of my mind, number one. Number two, when I went in and interviewed on the spot and got the job on the spot, which, by the way, is always a red flag. (laughs) Always a red flag. I said, I've got a show that we're putting on this Saturday night at Cobra. I can't work. I opened the schedule. Guess when I'm scheduled? Yeah. Saturday night at Cobra. Or Saturday night when I'm supposed to be at Cobra. So I, I had to work Friday night till 3 a.m., switch 
my Saturday night shift who come in Saturday morning at 10 a.m. after driving in a half hour back to Donaldson and a half hour back. So I got maybe four and a half hours of sleep. Then I had to go to Cobra. By the end of that second shift, the Saturday morning into afternoon shift, I'm like, I miss DoorDash. <laughs> I'm done. Like, you're yeah. not going to respect my time off the bat. And then here's the kicker. They didn't pay me for the two days I worked. Really? They never paid me. Never paid me. Did they send you a W-2? Nope. Nothing. Interesting. Nothing. Nothing. That's the, that's the thing that, like, I will say probably one of the, the worst companies I've worked for in Nashville, Crew One. You know Crew One? I've heard the name. So they, they basically do, like, stagehand shit. But I've worked for them, and um, they were just shitheads. Mm -hmm. Because every, not every worker, but a lot of the workers are just straight-up crackheads that live in by-the-week motels. Mm -hmm. I do not like fucking stagehands. They are the most arrogant pieces of shit you will ever deal with. Because, um, like, all they would do, it's like, and look, I, I disparage no one who works mm -hmm. um, or anything like that, but it's basically like you're a glorified version of, like, a carpenter construction worker. Mm -hmm. Um, what I didn't like was the arrogance that they came at me with because right. they're rude as fuck to you if, if you're new and they love to tell you all the shows that they've worked and the celebrities <laughs> that they've mingled with. The name dropping. Yeah. yeah. Big time name dropping from people on the lowest rung of the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. I would probably say it's like stagehand work and then right above that is probably radio, which mm -hmm. I've worked both. Right. Um, but I got something out of radio. I didn't get anything out of crew one. I remember I had called them cause I had booked a gig that I was going to be getting paid for mm -hmm. and said, Hey, I'm supposed to be working this time next week, but I got this gig that I'm getting paid for where I'm going to be making more money. Yada, wow. yada, yada. I told them the situation and they were like this guy straight up without irony in his voice. He's like, well, you should tell them that you have prior commitments and they'll respect you. And I was like, I'm not showing up. And, he's, <laughs> and he was basically arguing with me and trying to put pressure on me. Yeah. Cause that's, and I get from his perspective, there's a lot of crackheads who call out cause mm -hmm. they're like all high and shit and they don't right. want to go to work. You at least were giving advance notice. I was giving advance notice yeah. and saying, yo, I'm not going to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Plus it was working at Nissan stadium in like the dead of July. Uh huh. And I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity that I had. It, I think it, it might've been like a recording session or as a gig or something. But it was something that was going to further me along. It was an experience I wanted to have. Yeah. And um, he was just not understanding of that at all. So I said, okay. Yeah. And then I said, I'll be there mm -hmm. bright and early. Mm -hmm. And then I just didn't show up. No job is worth robbing yourself of those kind of experiences. No job. I don't care what it is. You know, at the end of the day, we've got to go toward what aligns with us, what aligns with our values, what makes us go. Right. If we don't, we end up bitter, broken and miserable. Yeah. You know, and I, I've had plenty of points in my life where I've had to save myself from that path, you know, where it's like I'm working this job. I'm in this situation. It's not making me happy. It's not filling me up. If anything, it's depleting me. I need to leave it to where now it's a lot easier for me to just walk away. Yeah. Whereas, again, in my younger day, I never would. I would drag it out for months. And months and just be like, oh, no, it's OK. I'm just waiting till this. I'm just waiting till that. I think a lot of that was fear. Yeah. I think a lot of that was, well, what's on the other side of this? Mm -hmm. You know, and but then it just gets to this boiling point where you just can't take it anymore. 
And then you abruptly go, and then it's like, oh, shit, I have no plan. What did I do? You know, where, where do I go from here? Who am I without this thing that I've spent so much time doing or spent so much time in? Yeah. Um, 2017 was a big year of that for me. Uh, you know, I did some cutting off. My seven-year relationship ended, and I abruptly left a job that I had turned sour on all within the span of a month and a half. Like, there was radical wholesale change that honestly was a long time coming, but I had put off for so long, and it was eating a hole in me after a while, and to where it all just came out that summer. But then I'm left August, September, October trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I live paycheck to paycheck now? What do I do? Where am I going? Picking up the pieces. Who am I? Yeah. And it took me... Until I, you know, over a year until I decided I was going to move to Nashville after that, that I just, you know, that, that I just cleared the decks really, you know, and I decided, you know, this is the direction I'm going to go in and this is who I'm going to try to be. And, you know, I'm going to try to heal all this stuff that happened back there. But I think my mistake looking back, which I've realized over the past year since we last sat down here was once I moved to Nashville and started seeing some success here. I stopped working on the healing and that was my biggest mistake. I, we talked, you know, last time, uh, cause I was listening to it on the way here about coming in hot in a Nashville, just coming in hot house of fire. And we were talking about how that's a bad thing because eventually you burn out when you face adversity. Yeah. You shrink and a lot of people go home and never come back. Yeah. It's a blaze of glory, dude. Yeah. I've seen it a million times where someone mm-hmm. super talented, they come in, and they're able to impress people right away. Yeah. But they hit that first road bump, that first uh, winter. Yeah. Because winter, everything slows the fuck down in Nashville. Mm-hmm. There's still stuff happening, but not like it is yeah. in May, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I like the idea of a metaphorical winter in that context. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, yeah, you could have a metaphorical winter too. Mm-hmm. And I would say a few weeks after that record, we recorded that episode, I hit mine. Really? Hard hard i came back from the desert and started realizing all the healing that i still needed to do that maybe i had poked at in 2019 2020 but never really sat with long enough to do there was always a meeting to go to there was always a bar to go to there was always a trip to take especially in 2019 before the plague there was always something to distract me from actually completing that work that i only just started to scratch the surface of before i moved here and it catches up with you man and if you don't actively work toward bettering yourself and doing that healing, you're going to run into problems. You're going to hit that winter. For sure. No, absolutely. I think we're probably similar in the way that we're analytical and self-critical. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can relate to this. But I find uh, if I don't keep it in check, I just end up abusing myself with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's definitely a struggle of mine. Like... And now, maybe not so much. I, I feel like it's, it's healthy to have that because it's what keeps the engine going. Mm-hmm. It keeps the motor running yeah. in a lot of ways. You can cycle too much that way, yeah. too. I, yeah, and I, I've definitely been guilty of that in my life where um, I just get into this mind chaos. Like, so much of the life that I live, it's just this state of chaos, and I'm constantly just shooting from the hip. Mm-hmm. going from thing to thing and yep. resolving issue after issue. Yep, putting out fires. Yeah, that I don't really 
I, I, for a long time, I didn't appreciate the growth that I already have had. Right. You know, and I, I talked to my sister about that one day. She was like, my older sister, she was like, you've done a lot and you've grown a lot over the past couple of years. Yeah. And you don't really acknowledge that ever. And that's 100% true. Um, now, now I'm like being able to talk about it on here helps me because like yeah. n- now I can, it's like, I have done a lot and I have grown a lot. Yeah. And, but if you're constantly putting out those fires, when do you take the time to actually assess that, reflect on it and recognize it? Yeah. You know, absolutely. I've no. never given myself that time. I still don't No. That's something I need to get better at so I can understand like, okay, I've been here before, you know, even when things kind of hit a lull, I've been here before I've gotten through this before something similar or maybe something even worse comparatively in terms of circumstance, I can do this again. You know, like the more you let yourself spin around and not really do that reflection and just go, 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 you kind of lose that sense of resilience, I think, to a point because you start to forget where you came from. You start to forget it or even fail to recognize how far you've actually come you know, and yeah, we all go through these difficult times and these winters and, you know, these circumstances that feel just as stressful, if not more than the ones we faced in the past. But the thing is, like, you have to take that time to look back and recognize, like, all right, this is just part of the journey. You know, I'm at a different point of it now than I was then. I'm going to hit more hard points down the road, you know, and you have to just be able to have that sense of self-assessment, but not go too deep into it to where it's like, all right, like where it brings you back to center without destroying you. Well, your mindset has to change and evolve, but you can't like, I feel like I've never lost that original drive Mm -hmm. that I even had since I was like a teenager of like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I have an unwaver, like unwavering belief in myself and I have faith in myself that I know I can figure out whatever the situation is. Yeah. But it's like, on the other hand, even though that is the case that I do have a lot of faith in myself, there are things that happen in life where sometimes you do have to take a step back in order to move ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See the whole field. Yeah. When you're in those weeds for so long and you find yourself you know, in a position where you've been doing a lot of the same things and expecting different results and you're not getting them well you're just staying busy to stay busy for the sake of yeah Yeah, and you do like and when i get into those modes like objectively trying to look at myself from this from this view when i get into those modes it's because i want to avoid being with myself Mm -hmm. because that's constantly what it was it what it was in my 20s was i was always avoiding being with myself Mm -hmm even though I was always alone. Yeah. You know, because that's where the hard work starts. Yeah. And we all mask like that, right? We all find different ways, whether it's work, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's gambling, we all find ways to hide, whether it's TV binging for six hours, video games, video games. Like these are all diversions that prevent us from going in and doing that work. And look, we all need fun. We all need diversions once in a while. Right. But when your life is wrapped up in them or when your life is wrapped up in a cycle of work, diversion, work, diversion, you're not taking that time or any alone time you do have downtime, you're spending hungover. Yeah. You know, that was 2019 for me. Yeah. You know, it's like I work, I work, I work, 
I go to Rosemary, get trashed. I ruin my Sunday. No time. For me, I, I used to smoke a lot of weed. I feel like it never really interfered necessarily with my life because I wouldn't. Like, sometimes I would, like, if I was playing, just playing with friends or whatever, I might get stoned, like, playing music with them. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I never did it while I was, like, working, working. Yeah. But I think I have the the tendency to overcorrect. If I'm going one direction and I want to make a change, Mm -hmm. I go the opposite direction. Same. Do a a 180, Mm -hmm. which is also not good. Yeah. I, I like at least for me. I feel like I need like it would be good for me, like maybe a couple of nights a month to get high uh-huh. at the end of the night when I don't have anything going on. Just watch like Trailer Park Boys or some shit. You uh-huh. know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I feel like that is personally probably good for me. Yeah. Um, what's not good for me is if I'm just laying around getting stoned, sitting on the couch all day eating Cheetos. <laughs> but I think that's how like I like I see myself. Mm-hmm. In that way, sometimes, right. like I, I go to the most critical aspect, uh-huh. and that's how I see myself. I'm like, even though I'm doing all this shit and getting plenty accomplished, right? But that's the self-critical piece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of. I've. I think I've gone. You know, in a. I, I think I'm similar in that way. Where, you know, I've been really hard on myself about drinking any alcohol at all lately. Like, oh, am I really going to drink a beer right now? Like, almost like feeling bad about myself for ordering one if I order one out, you know? Uh-huh. And alcohol doesn't make me feel better. Like, even physically now, it's like I really prefer to use it sparingly. But I think, like, the shaming of yourself for letting loose once in a while, for, you know, for doing anything that even hints at what you quote unquote used to do, the old yeah. you, like, yeah, you're right. That's an unhealthy way to go to just go to the complete polar opposite. Yeah. Everything in moderation, right? Keeping your, that's how you keep your life in balance. Yeah. That's what my dad has always said to me. Like my dad, even when I was in my twenties smoking weed and doing that shit, my, my dad knew, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he never, he was like, it's fine that you're doing that. He's like, just don't like smoke weed in the house, even though I still would. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dad. My I, dude, looking back, I feel so bad for some of the shit that I used to do. Yeah. Uh, to my dad, you know, just like when I was younger, just bringing girls home mm-hmm. and like banging them and smoking <laughs> weed and having parties at at the house whenever he was out of town. <laughs> um, but th- th- that was like post high school that I did all that shit, and yeah. I was still living with him, but. Mm-hmm. You just get to a point in life where um, I don't know, it's a sobering point to reach when you start to see your parents as human beings. Yes. They're yeah. also they're the people who raised you and the people that you have all these memories with, mm-hmm. but you see them as human beings now first and foremost. Yeah. Like, and you see them in context of the world now a little yeah. bit better. Uh-huh. Because we're at that point ourselves where we're adults trying to make it out here, trying to juggle all this stuff. And although you and I don't have kids right now, there's a lot of stress out here that as children, we didn't understand. And we understand, I think now that adults will do different things to varying degrees to cope. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I've, I've hit that point, you know, over the past couple of years myself where it's like, you know, my dad and I didn't really get along at all consistently ever in my life before I moved here. And now we hit probably have the best relationship we've ever had. 
and part of that is on my end understanding like you know the guy worked two sometimes three jobs you know i talked about this on the episode i did with lauren gomance by the way yeah the quinspin which great guest by the way glad glad you connected us yeah of course um, happy to do one it. one of my favorite episodes ever but anyway you know because we went into this and like on that episode and realizing like he worked really really hard and like men of his generation you know didn't I think weren't taught or didn't know how or wasn't acceptable for them to express any other emotion other than the hard male emotions of frustration and anger. So when he didn't feel appreciated for that and all the work that he did, he would express it in ways that we would consider in this day and age not to be healthy, right? Aggre- very aggressively. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was a, a cop for 25 years. So oh, shit. Level okay. of aggression that comes with that. Yeah. I'm just calling it like it is. I'm not, you know, trashing any profession. You know, um, my mom, on the other hand, you know, I think felt unappreciated in her own right. I think she felt like she was sacrificing a lot of herself for the sake of keeping things together for the three of us, for the kids. And, you know, I think that really got her down. And, you know, I mean, she's no longer with us. And, you know, I have to wonder, like, if everybody recognized everyone's humanity in that house, it would have been a lot healthier. It would have been a lot healthier of a dynamic. I think we'd all be healthier as people, you know, my mom might still be here, Yeah. you know, and it's, that's a sobering reality that I, that's hit me recently is like, cause my mom didn't really take care of herself. Yeah. You know? Um, she's, she smoked and you know, she, you know, every time, she tried to quit, you know, somebody would upset her and she'd be like, well, I'm not quitting. Why am I, what am I quitting? For? Yeah. And it's like, you, you start to realize like how much she just tried to keep it together for all of us and didn't feel like that was appreciated because, you know, we were young and didn't understand like everything that she had sacrificed, everything my dad had sacrificed, essentially sacrificing themselves to keep a roof over our heads. And to give you hopefully a better life than they had. Yeah, because they were, I mean, they were not wealthy at all as kids. You know, they did not come from wealthy families. I mean, in the 90s, like, you know, it was really tough for them to keep the house a lot of times, you know, and we just, as kids, you know, seeing all the kids in school in a rich town, you know, that's, you know, well-to-do and a lot of, you know, other kids' parents work in New York. Working-class, blue-collar family like yours. Yeah, like, we saw what all the other kids had and felt that pressure to keep up and brought that pressure home to them, you know, that keeping up with the Joneses type of thing. And meanwhile, they were doing the best they could in their own way with the tools that they had to cope. Yes. Which were not as developed as society encourages today yeah you know no it's a different time period you know it's it's funny because like even 20 or 30 years ago we're really from the last probably generation of of uh people that didn't weren't born into technology right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like by the time i was maybe eight or nine we had like a family computer which is still young Mm -hmm. but like, I remember being a little kid and going to play outside, and me and my sister had to entertain ourselves yeah. pre-internet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I know how to do that today. Yeah, yeah. If oh, I'm going to be real about it, you know. it's lost, yeah, for sure. Because it's just so easy to go on TikTok or turn on Hulu, Netflix, turn on YouTube, listen to a podcast. It, and don't get me wrong, it's all great. Mm-hmm. I think technology, there's more that's good about it than bad about it. Right. 
But um, everybody just wants to bitch about social media and how it's changing us. And look, I agree. It is, yeah. But it's playing with our, our worst impulses as a species, basically. Mm-hmm. But that's also our responsibility to catch. Yes. You know, and that's the thing is like, that's another thing I'm looking at right now, you know, at this point in my life is my relationship with social media and the FOMO that comes with it, the sense of having to keep up in a different way that comes with it and realizing like, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this and I've said it myself recently. Instagram is not reality. You know, no. everybody's putting their best out there. Everybody's putting out that they're enjoying life, that they're loving life. And look at me out on a Friday night at this bar. They're not putting out how drunk they get and how miserable they feel the next morning. Yeah. You know, and I've, I know quite a few people who do that. Or the phone calls to their exes in the Uber ride on the way home when they don't find anyone to go home with. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like, there's this, I agree that technology has given us a lot more advantages, but at the same time, there's this deep sense of loneliness that we as a species have not quite figured out how to navigate in this age of technology. Yeah. You know, and I think it's another layer of insulation that we give ourselves from actually connecting, from actually doing the work on ourselves, from actually doing the work in relationships with other people. I think that's why you're seeing such a rise of avoidance. You know, the first sign of a problem in a relationship, people run the other way because it's easy to do that. You can just go swipe for another one. You can go on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever and find that person you were talking to a few weeks ago. Yeah. There's no, like, but at the end of the day, all that keeps us doing is cycling through, cycling through. And I think that contributes to us really feeling empty in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You know, I, I've been there myself, you know, and that's, you know, I'm trying to curb that now and actually go out and connect with humans, you know, <laughs> because like, at the end of the day, like you're only going to feel satisfied when you actually work to build connections with yourself, with the world around you, and not put this artificial filter, pun intended, over all of that to mask it and to mask what you need to deal with. No, 100%. Um, have you ever listened to Joey Diaz before? No. So Joey Diaz, he's like a, a frequent guest on Joe Rogan, or at least he was before he moved to Jersey and Joe moved to Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joey Diaz, he talks about, and this, this is related. Yeah. I've I've seen some of these clips at least. Yeah. Yeah. But he, um, on his podcast, he'll talk about, um, wanting to, to fall in love with comedy again. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like with anything in life, like, dude, I've recorded at fucking Blackbird, Dark Horse Studios, played all kinds of shows, Mm -hmm. not anything like huge shows, but. The bands that I've played with, for the Weird Sisters, for instance, they have a good following, and people come out to see them, at least here, like, when I've played with them. Mm-hmm. Like, the very few shows I played with them, people came out. And all of those things can just feel so day-to-day. Like, mm-hmm. I've recorded at Blackbird three separate times. Yeah. Which, hey, I'm very lucky to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. But it feels almost like pedestrian to a certain point where it's like, yeah, this is what I'm doing with my life. Mm -hmm. So like the further along that I get, um, like I feel like I've earned being there, but I think I got so burned out and have been in a metaphorical winter myself for really the past six months, Mm -hmm. um, where I was just playing six nights a week, didn't have any time for myself um, sometimes seven nights a week because it would be like I'd have one or two shows, yeah. a couple of rehearsals to go along with that. I would have the podcast. 
Uh, my buddy Zach moved away, but we were doing Man of Science, Man of Faith. Yeah. So it was just like constantly go, go, go. Find the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and try and work on it and get, get done, get through it, get through this day. Yeah. And um, I've fallen a little bit out of love with music. So like pretty much like lately I, I have not been focused so much on playing. Mm-hmm. And like uh, last week's episode, um, 144, Why I Love the Black Keys – I, I felt like I was really able to um, to remember why I'm a fan of music. Mm-hmm. The original thing, you know what I mean? Like, just I was thinking back because, like, uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like the the Black Keys um, and like everything Dan Auerbach did, it was it was the soundtrack of my twenties. Right. I would say probably them and Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, uh, because uh, Brothers came out maybe two or three weeks before I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Right. And it represented this new era for me. Yeah. Um, and of course, they did El Camino when I saw that they had moved to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Dan has it, had a studio here, so I really wanted to move to Nashville. Because I'm like, if this is if they're there, then there's going to be other musicians there as well who are yeah. also trying to do something similar. Right. But um, their new album has come out, Dropout Boogie. I love it. Uh, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Really enjoy it. But it's reminding me of why I fell in love with music. You know, that, that original spark of, like, wanting to run to the record store. Yeah. The day it came out to go, like, get uh-huh. it and just have it live with me in my car. Every time I get in my car, I'm excited to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, thinking, oh, I get to go in my car in an hour and I get to listen to music. Yeah. yeah. And that idea of falling back in, in love with something again. Because it can just get so day-to-day, you know. Yeah. But yeah. that original love is starting to come back around. It's amazing how it all comes back around. I have a similar story. You know, you, you mentioned being in the car and listening for an hour, right? I, Our Lady Peace is my favorite band. I don't know if I mentioned that on this show the last time. But I mention it pretty much every episode on the Quinspin. So if you're playing the Quinspin drinking game, go ahead, take a drink. Uh, Burn Burn came out uh, right before my senior year of college, uh, which was their 2009 album. Pretty straightforward alt-rock record, but it just came out at the right time in my life. And it was a time where I was going through transition. I was going through another pseudo breakup. This seems to be a theme in my relational life. Um, you know, and, and processing the emotions from that. And every song on this album, as I'm listening, as I'm, I was driving an hour to go visit my friend down about an hour south in Jersey from where I was, every song hit the nail on the head. And I had enough time on that drive to listen to a few of them over again a second time. There's a song called Escape Artist on that album, which the first time I heard it became my favorite song on earth and still is to this day. And it's a song about closure and not always getting it and having to be okay and just press forward anyway. And that was where I found myself in that moment in my life. I'm going through another one of those seasons right now. I listened to that song last night and just closed my eyes. And it was like hearing it for the first time again. You know, and like that feeling, the story is the same. You know what I mean? Like the feeling that the faces change. Sometimes the story is the same, but you're able to come back to these moments, these bands, these artists, these these people, these human beings and these experiences that connect you to that. And for me, what that did was it made me, I think, realize that like this is all kind of cyclical in nature. And what's meant to come back around will come back around. What's meant to be let go will be let go. It turns out that person that I was going through that with back then ended up coming back around years later and admitting her role in the whole 
thing that I was just I was just looking for that closure at that point in my life. I finally got it like nine years later. You know, we have these experiences, we have these moments that shape us, whether they're musical moments, whether they're moments in life, whether they're some combination of the two. And they come back around and make sense and they're brought new life. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I did just last night as a recording, I had that moment last night. There's another song on that album called The End Is Where We Begin, where it's like and it's very hopeful, very optimistic. It's like, we can't change what happened back there, so, but it's a blue sky up ahead. What are we going to do with that, you know? And that's the approach I'm now trying to take going forward, you know, coming out of a very similar season to, I, to what I was when that album came out. You know, I've been listening to that song a lot lately, too, because, hey, the good thing about things going south in whatever way they have is there's now a world of possibility if you choose to embrace it. And that was a time in my life where I chose to going into my senior year and I had a great year. I ended up getting into what would become a seven year relationship. And by the end of senior year, I felt on top of the world, you know, so there's always something better up ahead, you know, but it's, it's when you're going through those winters, it's hard to see that. And it's hard to really recognize that for what it is and recognize the cyclical nature of everything comes back around what's meant for us will find its way back in in some form or fashion. We will get the answers we seek down the road, whether directly or indirectly. Absolutely. There's this great quote, and I can't remember where I saw it, but uh, basically said you're either just going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that's a metaphor for life. Yeah, and I think so often we get so caught up in, I just finished the last storm. Why am I heading into another one? Because that's just life. It ebbs and flows. You ride the waves. You go up and down. And sometimes those waves are very volatile. Sometimes yeah. they're abrupt. You know, they're, they're tidal waves that crash into you. And sometimes they're just little storms mm-hmm. that you freak out about. And you think it's going to be horrible. And you're fucking batting down the hatches and hold on for dear life. But it passes in two minutes. Yeah. You know? And I think your mindset about weathering them and what you've weathered really holds the key to that. You know? And... The ways that you're able to, again, look at where you've been, look at how far you've come, look at what you've learned in the past and apply that to now without trying to make now the past, you know? Like, I think there's a fine line, you know, we long for simpler times. We long for those, you know, brighter days that we think are back there. Those days were not without their problems. Mm -hmm. We just have a rosier view because we made it past those problems. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I can think of times... Like looking back on that um, uh, that that IT sales job I had, mm-hmm. like at the time it was shit because I was the low man on the totem pole. I had a two thousand Pontiac Grand Dam. Mm-hmm. I had this shitty apartment for four hundred and sixty five dollars a month, but it really wasn't that bad. Right. Those are those like are, are the days that I look back on most romantically. It was like right before I left Maine. Like the last year before I left Maine was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I was always unsatisfied, and I always wanted to leave, um, but they were pretty good for, for what it was. I'm really glad I had those experiences, the dating experiences I had in that time, all of it, because it, it, it laid the groundwork for me to be prepared for Nashville. Like, when I moved to Nashville, and I don't know if it, like I'm just naturally this way, or these are just lessons I learned along the way, but... I knew to shut the fuck up right away when someone else was talking who had more experience than me, yep, whether mm-hmm. 
whether I agreed with them or not. Yeah. You know, because I was like, well, they, they have experienced more. Um, and I don't even know if that was a conscious thought, even. Uh, I, I, yeah, it was just kind of instinct. Like I was super, super lucky in the way too, that when I was 15, my first job was at a recording studio Mm -hmm. in Maine, which is, you know how many recording studios there are in Maine, like fucking three of them. And I worked at one of them. I moved in next door to a guy who was a music producer. Mm -hmm. He owned a studio and a live venue and I got to work there. Yeah. And, um, I was always like well behaved with the artists. I got Mm -hmm. along with people. I knew when to not talk, which is way more important when knowing when to talk. Yeah. Uh, so those were all experiences that I was able to bring here yeah. where I knew when I go out and maybe I would say again, I, and this is not necessarily an overcorrection cause I, I'm already a lot like this. I'm fucking quiet, dude. Mm-hmm. When I go out, I don't say shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not good either at like playing into the politics of like industry. Right. I would probably be a lot further along if I was, mm-hmm. but maybe not fucking really actually. Cause you look at the people who do that, that are shitheads. Some that we, uh, we mutually know <laughs> one in particular I'm thinking of. And, uh, no one's really like, that's the thing people I can't stand. It. Yeah. People see through it. I can't stand it when people act like sociopaths um, and they're not even fucking sociopaths, but they're acting like one. You know what I mean? Like they're not even good at it. Yeah, they're not <laughs> even good at it, but they're still acting that way mm-hmm. and they're no further ahead than any of us. Right. Like I see you like the whole East Nashville scene and I, I say this very lovingly. We're all kind of on the same level. Yeah. To different degrees. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like whether it's the reveal, the weird sisters, Violet Moons, whatever. Um, and they all have things where, like, they're further ahead in this way and maybe in another way they need to develop more in this way. But that's the beauty of this scene. It's like we're all kind of playing together and working together. Yeah. And the more we come back to that sense of community, the better off we'll be. You know? But it's challenging. Yeah. Because we're all human say. beings. Yeah. And human beings have egos. Whether you think you do or not, and if you don't think you do, you probably have the biggest one in the room. Yeah. We all have egos, and they come out to play, especially, you know, especially if we haven't done the work to heal, especially, you know, if we've spent more time pointing the finger than, you know, pointing it back at ourselves. Or you're not doing the work in life. Right. Or you're not doing the work in life. Like, there's this, you know, it kind of brings us back, you know, to the beginning of the episode where it was like, there are just things that need to change because they're not working for me as a person, you know, which therefore bleeds into the platform, which therefore bleeds into the business, you know, into my relationships, fix that stuff internally. And you're going to get a lot further. You're going to be better at building relationships. You're going to be better at building your team. You're going to be better at building yourself and your career and the life that you want. We've got to do this healing. We've got to do this work on ourselves. And the longer we put it off, the harder it is because the more layers of conditioning and the more quote-unquote evidence we have that, see, I was right. That person's against me. Or see, this never works for me. It becomes subconscious too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just start acting a certain way without necessarily knowing why you're acting that way. Yeah, you know? And like the thing that really 
I think opened me up to that, you know, this year was this most recent situationship not working out because I saw how I show up, you know, I, the one, the one place where I've always just kind of abandoned ship is, you know, it, I, I guess recently, especially since the breakup of my long-term relationship is in relationships. It's like one thing happens that I don't like, I'm out, bye. But I criticize other people for doing the same thing, you know? And I think it's just really, you know, a projection and a reflection all at the same time of like not being able or willing, you know, previously to look inward and be like, oh, I have a part in this too. You know, getting really defensive, I'm going to hurt you before you can hurt me. And that's something that, you know, I notice like sometimes I do in my professional life where it's like, oh, well, this person didn't like this thing that I did. Well, fuck them. I'm never working with them again. But then I'm like, that's not fair. Maybe, yeah. you know, may, maybe I need to see it from their side and maybe our expectations were different. Maybe we should have communicated our expectations to each other. Well, communication is key with anything in life, yeah. whether it's relationships, professionally speaking. Um, you know, I think I have the tendency to just smash shit up with a hammer for so long mm-hmm. and then see what survives after. Yeah. But I've learned really talking about what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and noticing if there's a difference between those or they they're aligned and it's fine if they're not aligned mm-hmm. but communicating with that other person being like yo I feel this way I'm mm-hmm. thinking this yeah uh and just being a kind of honest and vulnerable yeah with someone else yeah. about that shit you know what I mean but first you have to be willing to do it with yourself yeah no for sure and, and that is the thing man that's the sauce like cuz we can all put up those walls and we can all have these thoughts, you know, even, you know, on our own by ourselves during the day where it's like, you know, where we get mad at somebody for something or we, you know, where we get upset about something all over again. But like, do we want to stay in that state? Do we want to stay upset? Do we want to stay mad? Do we want to stay with that bridge burned? No, we want to fix it. We're hurting inside. Yeah. We're hurting, which is why we're upset because we don't know how to communicate that. And we're afraid that if we do communicate that, that it's going to get thrown back in our face. And sometimes it will. But yep. the key is doing your part. Doing your part and being willing to communicate in any relationship is going to save you a lot of grief because that, then at the end of the day, at least you've done all you can. No, for sure. I had this, uh, this guest on recently, Sven Erlinson, and he talks about hitting the, the fuck it point, mm-hmm. which is when you're in so much pain – uh, that you just have to change. You're willing to do things that you're not normally willing to do yeah. because you need to get it out of whatever the situation is. And I could think of maybe two or three times that I've reached that yeah. point. Um, the other thing he talked about was uh, radical honesty versus brutal honesty. Mm-hmm. He said brutal honesty never works. He's like radical honesty was basically explaining that it's vulnerability Mm -hmm. like he talked about this situation where he was seeing um seeing this woman they were together and she said um if you ever don't want to be with me tell me right and that reminded me of the uh the chris stapleton song second one to know do you know that song yeah uh and that whole song is basically about him saying like if you ever want to leave me Mm-hmm. let me know first. Don't let me be the second one to know. Uh-huh. And you go out and you cheat with someone else. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I really, I really, uh, 
I just like that. Like that's a, that's a very vulnerable thing to say to someone. Like, hey, you might mm-hmm. smash my heart into a million pieces, but at least let me know first before you start stepping out. On it's me. better than finding out another way. I I found I out another way before. Oh, so have I. And it is horrible, so dude. Have I. It I, is it fucking sucks. I'd rather be told than having to call somebody out on it. Yeah. And I've had to call people out on it. Yeah. You know, and it's not something you ever want to do because it's very hard at that point to not do it from a place of resentment and anger. I don't care who you are. You can or a place from Lisa. like hot emotion. Yeah. Hot emotion. You know, one particular instance I can think where I did that recently I got maybe an hour of sleep, and this sleep was not good sleep. I was anxious. I had anxiety coursing through every freaking fiber of my body. Yeah. And I could feel it as I was sleeping. I did not sleep well. But if communication would have happened on both ends, I'm responsible for that too, for not you know communicating my feelings and expectations. I wouldn't have lost that sleep I probably would have communicated better in that moment even if it didn't work out between me and that individual right it is a two-way street you know but you're only for 50% of that equation as well yeah the other person owns the other 50 whether they want to or not yeah and that's the thing like that's what's frustrating because I think for a long time and we talked about before the podcast started up where I had this situation where I felt like someone wasn't owning their half of the bullshit and it mm-hmm. kind of made me crazy. Yeah. But now I can I can recognize when something like that is happening and I just know to step away from it. Mm-hmm. And either A give it time or B go the opposite direction. Yeah. And if it comes back around, it comes back around. Exactly. You and know? it's not just like that with dating relationships, like that with anything in life. Yeah. I mean, you start to recognize your own patterns. You know, for Absolutely. me, I know my pattern now is that I've always been the work husband, you know? What, dating back to college, like keep me at arm's length, but with your hand on my shirt in case you need to pull me in. That's all, and like, I could blame it entirely on the women, but the fact of the matter is, I've done something to enable that this entire time. Back in college, there was there was this one girl that was in our friend group, and she had a boyfriend forty five minutes away, but would always be hanging out with me. Always, like we were inseparable. Half the campus thought we were dating. Did you? Did you like this girl? I did. Yeah. And I started to more because the more I heard her talk about her boyfriend, who she ended up marrying and then divorcing, which we all saw coming, <laughs> like the, the more I, I, I observed that situation, I'm like, I started to get this white knight syndrome of she wants out of this. Should I? Shouldn't I? Like she'd stay over in my room. She'd get trashed and stay over in my room and like insist on sleeping in my bed. And then I'd go take the top bunk. So I wasn't the one that violated somebody's relationship. Like, that's the point it got But to. you can make the argument, too, but that by even hanging out with you that much and getting that trash and being in your room, she had already violated her relationship. I could. And I can also make the argument that I enabled her to do that by not saying, this isn't right. Yeah, I knew it for wasn't sure. right. You know? And that continued all of junior year. I mean, we broke up, like, several times. You know, we had heated arguments that, you know, unhealthy couples would have which in college we pretty much would have amounted to, you know, based on where we were in our own lives. And it was mind blowing because we were never actually dating. <laughs> so we get all the way to the end of that year, Memorial day, I'm home. It's summer. I get a text telling me she's engaged. That was mind blowing to me. Cause I thought that was never going to happen. And that was the first time I really started to 
realize like I've kept myself on the line here. Like I've yeah. kept myself waiting as, in the wings. Yeah. I've kept myself as the backup quarterback holding the clipboard. But then when you go and ask for the starting job in that situation, nine times out of 10, Oh, 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 oh can't do it. You know, yeah. we're just friends. What are you doing? Like I've noticed this pattern show up in my life. You know, Well, the, the, you definitely had half your shit to own in it, but our, our society and our culture doesn't talk about women doing that stuff. Right. And equally being as as guilty in that, because basically it sounds like it was like a pseudo emotional affair. It was not pseudo. It yeah. was an emotional affair. Yeah. Every single time they had a problem, I'd hear about it. But then when I would actually start to try to dig into that problem a little bit, complete shutdown, leave the room, that kind of thing, you know. And like, I'm. It's happened to me a few times since then, where it's like again, arm's length, but hand on my shirt just in case, you yeah. know. And. I recognize that now and I'm able to see that now and be like, I'm not setting myself up for this. You know, like we're going to have a mutual, healthy, communicative relationship. But part of that, 50% of that is on me to communicate from the get go, which I've failed to do to this point. Yeah. You know, in, in any of those situations, the only situation I've run into that hasn't mirrored that to some degree was my seven year relationship because she approached me completely single and eventually I, I was kind of I think I was more the avoidant in the beginning of that relationship you know like you know kind of doing the hard to get thing you know not sure if I wanted to pursue it or not but then we just decided let's give this thing a shot and it lasted seven years and we definitely had our issues I mean obviously we're not together anymore but I can point to that and be like that's probably the healthiest dynamic I've ever had you know even through its flaws and even though we really started to drift during the second half of it, because we went into it with the intention that, like, we're going to give this an honest chance here. And we communicated that to each other, you know. And actually, she and I recently forgave each other, which was beautiful. Because, you know, for years, I kind of held this resentment, you know, about the way things had gone down. And we drifted and, you know, it was just kind of messy at the end. You know, but I realized there's, there's great gratitude and, and great lessons to take from that. You know, and it felt nice. She texts me on my birthday every year. And for years, I wondered why. Like, why are you doing this? Come on. This year, I was like, you know what? She's 800 miles away. She's engaged now. Like, this is harmless. You know, it's just, there's, there's this level of caring that's still there that's, that I think is innocent. You know, and it's just like, okay. Like, I appreciate this. I see you. Thank you for still giving a shit about me. You know, even though you have no reason to. And it's... But it's not presented in this way of I'm trying to keep you on the line. I'm just trying no, to wish you well. I, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, that there was one particular dating situation I had in my in my 20s that really forced me to, like, own some of my flaws as yeah. a human being. Mm -hmm. Because the greatest way to see how flawed of a human being you are is to be in a relationship. You're the second person who's told me that today. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I'm, like... It ended very poorly, and we don't talk anymore, but I'm super grateful for what it was while it was happening. Um, you know, if I, if I would have communicated more instead of just acting on emotion, you could look back on a thousand different things and say, you know, maybe not that it would necessarily be different because I still wouldn't want to be with this person. I'm, I'm grateful for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, they were also a flawed human being, but I feel like forgiveness is like if you forgive someone for something, so much of it is for you 
Yeah. More so than the other person. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I did that, cause I'd, I actually had the idea a couple months before my birthday, but I dropped my phone in a toilet in Denver, uh, last summer and didn't, and lost all my contacts. I no longer had her number. You know what I mean? So I was glad she texted me on my birthday, you know, because I'm like, all right, should I do this? Is it appropriate? Is it, you know what? Fine. Whatever. You know, I just want to let you, I just want to thank you and tell you I have no resentment, you know, and I'm at a place in my life where I re- I'm really grateful for the seven years and, you know, you'll always have my gratitude. And I think we both needed that. Uh, and we kind of both admitted that we both needed that, you know, and it, I felt so emotionally light afterwards and like, you know, I, even if we lived in the same geographical region, I think we're just such different people now that we'd never get back together. You yeah. Know what I mean, but I honestly feel like for the first time I could be friends with her again. Yeah. You know? And like, I kind of like, I'm going to text her happy birthday in October. Like I'm going to do it because it's just like, you know what? It's good to forgive. It, it is for you, you know, as yeah. much as it's for the other person, it's for you too. And you need that sense of peace. So you can objectively look at those lessons that the relationship taught you and apply them going forward. Look at the ways that maybe you failed to show up before. So you can correct that for the next person, for the person that ultimately ends up being your partner. Yeah. Right. Cause if you just hold on to that bitterness, you just hold on to that resentment, you know, like it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't, it's not gonna, it's not gonna change anything that's happened. And it's certainly not going to help you move forward with any kind of healthy perspective. You know, and that's something that, you know, again, you know, coming to therapy, you know, in a few weeks, uh, therapist has a wait list. So once, once that clears up a little bit, I'll be starting, you know, I'm looking forward to digging into that and having an opportunity to look at things more objectively for the next person. But also because, you know, as long as it didn't end in such a malicious way that you never speak to the person again, eventually I've found that closure always comes one way or another. And to be prepared for that objectively and to not go on the def- not get defensive, but also not go on the attack and just be like, okay, I see this situation. I see you and what you were going through. I see me and what I was going through. I appreciate this chance to close this book 50, 50, you know, like it, it always comes back around one way or another. There's always an opportunity. I feel to find that closure one way or another. Well, resentment is, is a poison. Yeah. And it can, it slowly eats away to away at you. And I had so many resentments in life that I was, uh, I was just miserable all the time. Right. Uh, so what do you have, uh, going on? Are you putting on any shows, anything (laughs) like that? We've got a bunch. Um, we've got some coming up. I'm not sure the air date of this, but we have a very special benefit we're doing for safe Haven family shelter over at LTH coffee and social on the west end june 7th we have eight female songwriters and we're going to be raising money for safe haven family shelter uh six to nine is the event uh so music will be starting at seven we'll do a little mix and mingle beforehand and then yeah we've got a bunch of nashlive.live just go check them out um pumping out the content on umc uh that's underground music collective for long form um again sensing that a pivot might be coming i'm not quite sure what that is or what it looks like but, you know, just kind of thinking about the future, you know, I've, again, been open that I want to build a physical headquarters by 2028. And I'm really just taking a look at our activities right now. And if they're going to take us to where we want to be, but also what do I need to add to the pot? 
You know, what needs to, what adjustments need to be made? What pivots need to be made? Because like, there's, there are always those things, you know, that, you know, it's always good to just look and assess what you're doing. And no matter how long you've been doing it, that doesn't mean you can't make some changes. So looking at that, um, the Quinn spin is the Quinn spin. I mean, we, you know, we have conversations with folks like yourself. We have conversations, you know, amongst ourselves, all the old co-hosts. And sometimes I just have conversations with myself in front of a microphone. And the common thread is, is looking into the creative lifestyle and all of these components, you know, and so many of them reside outside the actual body of work, right? So it's what, you know, we're really leaning into with that show, what I'm really leaning into. And I'm really, one thing I'm really excited about is the direction of, of that show. You know, it's my art form. That episode you did with Lauren was awesome. Lauren oh Gomez. That was one of the best episodes I've ever done in my life. Like, and you know, credit to Lauren for being such a great guest and just being able to just go deep into that conversation. You know, that was the first time I had had a therapist on. It was the first time we had really pivoted off of like straight up music and creativity and pop culture, you know, depending on the context. And like, I want more of that, you know, I want more of that stuff because like, there's so much more to this lifestyle than what we do. There's so, there's such an inner game that you have to master. You have to master yourself. You have to master how you show up in relationships. You have to master how you show up in these areas of life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I definitely, I mean, Lauren was a great guest. She also teaches a great yoga class Tuesdays and Thursdays at Church <laughs> Park, which I've had the chance to go to. Uh, first time was a little rough because I've realized all the ways I'm not flexible, but I'm getting better at it now. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, I can't say enough about that episode and so many of the conversations we've had on the show. So, like, please go check out the Quinn Spin, Two Ends and Quinn, Two Ends and Spin. Like I said, it's my art form. You know, musicians have their music. I have that as my outlet until I drop my mixtape which I don't know when or if that's ever going to happen, but hopefully one day. Awesome. Gerard, thank you so much for coming on. One more thing I want to touch on. Okay, go Baseball. for it. So I was listening to our conversation from last year, and we said two things that stuck out to me. I said, Anthony Rizzo better be a Cub for life, which and did not And he's on happen. the Yankees. And now he's a Yankee. And you had said the Cardinals should bring back Albert Pujols for at least a farewell game or series. Yeah. And now he gets a whole season. So yeah. Funny how that comes back around. Okay, hold on. Before we go, I have yeah. to talk to you about one thing. Okay. Did you see the Josh Donaldson-Tim Anderson beef that happened? I did not, no. So, I heard about it. Do you hear that? I do. I don't know what the fuck that was. Um, the ghosts. Uh, but, yeah, so Josh, uh, Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson, there was an event over the weekend at a Cubs game where the, the team, they've been, like, kind of chirping at each other the uh -huh. past couple of times they played each other. Yeah. Um, but it all came to a head because Josh Donaldson had, um, he had either slid into a base when he got out and he said to, uh, to Tim Anderson, where they already been chirping at each other, he said, what's up, Jackie? in reference to Tim Anderson saying, uh, I'm the new Jackie Robinson. I don't know if you saw, he said that a no, couple of years ago. No. But yeah, Tim Anderson said he was the new Jackie Robinson, all this shit. Um, so yeah, Josh Donaldson, as of right now, he has a, a one-game MLB suspension for that comment. Uh, and people are wondering, is he racist? Is he not racist? 
uh, Aaron Boone came out and said, yo, he should have never had said that. He's like, I don't think there was malicious intent. Mm-hmm. Um, Liam Hendricks made a comment on it, uh, pitcher for the White Sox. For the White Sox. And he said, that's bullshit. Because uh, Josh Donaldson had come out and said, oh, it's an inside joke. We've joked about it in the past. And Liam Hendricks were just straight up like, they don't like each other and they don't joke. Mm-hmm. So everybody's kind of waiting to hear from Tim Anderson as of right now to see if, like, what the context was of the situation. Yeah, if you're Josh Donaldson, you got to have a better head on your shoulders than that. Especially I agree. a guy that's been in the league as long as he has. Yes. You've got to have a better head on your shoulders and you have to understand, even if there wasn't malicious intent how that could be construed. Yes, because what he was trying to say, like the way it's been seen, or at least the way that some people have said, he was trying to break up the tension between them because he said it's something they joked about in the past. Uh Uh-huh, right. Which wasn't right for him to say, um, but I also think that Tim Anderson opened himself up by comparing himself to Jackie Robinson. The man who broke the color barrier in major league baseball but i think if you're josh donaldson too there's just a better way to ease the tension that's be that's going up to him before the game and saying hey man are we good like can we bury yes this? i agree with that <laughs> like, i know, agree 100 it's that simple it's that i and like yeah you could say something for you know you're in the field of competition things get heated but like again you've got to be you've got to have a better head on your shoulders especially guys been in the league as long as him a veteran guy you know who who's been around and has you know, has been an ambassador for the league. Like you gotta, you gotta. He's he won the triple crown and the MVP, right? When he was with the Blue Jays, yeah. Yeah. Like you, you just have to know better if you're in his position. I 100% agree. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts on it since it was we didn't talk much baseball this episode, but I, I I wanted to bring that up to you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I I mean, this is actually the first I'm hearing all the details of it, but that's my hot take. So. There we go. Okay, uh, Instagram. How can people find you on Instagram? That's the one thing you didn't plug. Oh, uh, let's see. At Quinn Spin Official, two ends in Quinn, two ends in Spin. At UMC Nashville, Underground Music Collective. At Nash Live Shows for Nash Live. And at Gerard Longo 12, G-E-R-A-R-D-L-O-N-G-O, one, two, for me. Awesome. Gerard, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me again. Thank you.